1: Welcome, everyone, to the Orange and Brown Report, your Friday, August 14th edition. Special shout out to our two presenting sponsors, DealDash, BetOnline.ag. Make sure you're taking advantage of the opportunities using the promo code Breakdown at DealDash to get your 100 free bids and also using the promo code BlueWire for your welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. We've covered them, we believe in them. Make sure you are going and supporting them through using those promo codes we offered. We are going to redraft 2010. Uh, actually, a fun draft. If you joined us for 2009, which was which was a pretty boring draft in general. Um, that one, that one didn't have the depth that this one has, and this one has a lot of fun names that are still playing today. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do so, welcoming in our Thursday guest, a little day later, a couple days later in the in the week here lately. Sobo, how are you, man?
0: I'm doing well. I I do not have a beer in hand this week, Uh, so we're trending in a positive direction. And speaking of trending in a positive direction, we should have teams in pads here in the next day or so, Jake. It's exciting. We may actually have football. We won't discuss college. That's, That's neither here nor there. But we may have the NFL. And that's what we've all been longing for during quarantine in these long months.
1: Yeah, at least we get some live training camp coverage tomorrow. And that's what I want to ask you about. Like, as training camp opens and you know, for fan viewing and whatnot, and, and there will be media there, somewhat limited capacity. What uh, what battles? There's not a ton of battles, I wouldn't say. Uh, but which ones are you drawn to as this whole uh, operation gets going?
0: Well, all of a sudden, now my interest is peaked in right guard, which it hadn't been throughout this entire process. Now, I know that Ronald Leary hasn't been signed as of yet, but when we come down to it, if he is an addition here right before the advent of this year's practice schedule, this is a, a, a blocker at 31 years old with the experience he has in the league that can come in and legitimately start from day one. And I know I've told you, uh, and it's been relayed to me that Bill Callahan's very high on Wyatt Teller. So that's why I never thought much of adding to the position, even with the Josh Klein out there. But if you can get a blocker the caliber of Leary to all of a sudden come in, now it's much more interesting. Now it's an actual battle because Leary has experience with playing with uh, Bill Callahan under his supervision. First three seasons in the league where Callahan was the defensive or excuse me, offensive line coach with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, So that becomes – that definitely piques my interest. And I know one of the things you were looking at, Jake, was the footwork we've seen very early with Baker Mayfield. I want to see the same thing, but I want to see it from Jedrick Wills. I want to see how comfortable he looks in that left-handed pass set and how natural that's coming to him. And we haven't seen it yet, um, but that's something I definitely will keep a close eye on once we see more and more from the Cleveland Browns
1: as they get rolling
0: into uh, practice sessions.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It remains to be seen how much they'll actually show the guys and and uh, what drills they'll be zooming in on, or if we'll. I, I would imagine we won't see very much to any team. We'll probably get a little bit of Skelly, which is just quarterback, wide receivers, tight ends, running backs against linebackers, corner, safeties. We'll probably see some of that, but we won't see a ton of stuff. So, like, you know, if you're concerned about the linebacker battle, you won't get a great feel for that because it just has to happen in live stuff to get a feel for who's playing well there. So, like you said, Sobo, I think it's really important to pay attention to the little nuances such as Jed's footwork, how Wyatt Teller's practicing in terms of drill work, what they're looking at with him. Because, you know, I could specifically remember being there the last few years and seeing Austin Corbett live and being like, that guy just can't get it done. Like, you just you just can see it with some guys. and. Wyatt, uh, I did not get to view Wyatt a ton last year, so I'd be really interested to watch him his drill work. And then, like you said, Baker and some of those other little things. But for the most part, many positions are handled. I'm gonna be interested to watch Grant Delpit, uh, how he's playing back there. The safety battle is gonna be interesting because I got a ton of moving parts in that in, in that end. So it's just gonna be great, man. It's gonna be great to be able to watch live football. Hopefully, they don't do too many interviews and too much talking, and we get to we get to see some stuff it'd be really nice to get a view on some stuff and it'd be really cool if they did a lot of just sort of talking in the background while showing drills and things like that so i'm looking forward to it
0: well one thing that you should look for as a viewer jake and i know you will do this is utilization and by that i mean when you do get to see the team watch how specific players are being used and by that you mean how are the linebackers rotating throughout sessions how are the safeties being used are they in dime are they in big nickel are they in traditional nickel or are, are, how are they working with rotations that could potentially be predictors for how the team's going to operate during a regular season look i know and i understand we're not going to have live updates this is going to be very different for everyone because of the way it's being handled this year uh, due to safety concerns and the ongoing pandemic but at the same time i've always believed jake that anytime you watch a football practice you can glean something about the team, about an individual, about the scheme, just by paying attention to those little things and how they're being used. Even if it's something little as who's on the first team special teams, because those are the guys that tend to get a leg up when you're looking at those last spots on the roster. And so things like that, just keep an eye on them. And whenever you do get to see the little bits of portion within the practice, see what's actually going on, how the coaches are rotating players and how they're. They're utilizing them, and to me, that's going to be the key. When you can't watch inside drills, when you can't watch full, you know, eleven on eleven, when you can't watch goal line because they're going to try to cut down on on contact. So look for those small aspects that can give you indicators for what they could be doing moving forward.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I I, I think it's just going to be really interesting this year because they have 14 pad of practices and they're going. That's week one. It's like out of nowhere. So. You know, every single practice they have pads on. It's going to be a heightened, heightened uh, amount of urgency, right, to get to get things going quickly and get the playbook understood and get the nuances ironed out. Because so often these teams have, you know, rep after rep in training camp, and you can you can even have a third or fourth team offensive line getting, you know, sessions and and things of that nature. But you don't get that this year. You only get, like I said, those cherished fourteen practices and pads, and that's that's the thing that'll be interesting, like you said, is. Uh, every snap will be calculated every snap will be important leading up to the season so if a guy is moving and playing with the second or first team that is worth paying attention to because they obviously think this guy is going to be a contributor in the first week of the season we view him as an important piece of this thing so um yeah that that like you said great point there with usage and how they're doing guys in and out of first and second team is going to be pretty fascinating to watch and even more so you know maybe times 100 more than we have traditionally seen because these guys get so many reps during traditional training camps and OTAs and mini camps that they didn't get so they got to pack it all in while they can and they don't even get even a second of live game action leading up into week one so that part of it and how prepared teams are you know we talk about this Seems like every year the teams just need to iron out things as week one, week two gets going because they don't play the starters in preseason, whatever. Is it gonna be sloppier than normal or is it gonna be that same sort of little bit of sloppiness to start the season? That part of things fascinates me.
0: Well, I, we should fully expect sloppy from the beginning. And you know, I, I said before, I'll state it again, that there's no cupcakes in the NFL. So you can't roll into the season like college football and expect to win automatically simply because of someone you're the playing because that it doesn't set up that way. You know, with that said, you can be prepared properly and very concise in the way that you operate from a practice perspective and get a lot done in a very short amount of time. Then it comes down to getting the proper reps overall to build synchronicity and overall development with cohesion in the unit. And as such, I think that's where we could see the difference in what Kevin Stefanski potentially brings as compared to Freddie Kitchens.
1: I'm with it. That's the, that's the number one storyline, without question, is how prepared the team will be week one on both sides of the football, because the group is trying to do something that we've never seen before. I mean, other teams are dealing with this; there are other there are other first time head coaches, but this is our group that we get to watch and pay attention to. So it's certainly across the league, the number one storyline is what the product looks like week one. So we're gonna shift. We hope you guys catch that. We will be talking about every single day of training camp at the OBR. We'll have multiple different writing angles and uh, things to cover and talk about and chat with. And we hope you guys join us in the forums, all the usual things, and we will hopefully be able to answer any questions you have as you watch along with us. We're going to shift to the 2010 redraft. I did 2009 yesterday with Stephen Thomas. 2009 was so weird. I hope you listened to it. It, it, it. It's weird because this draft is a draft that jumps to modern day out of nowhere. 2009, there's just, there, was, there were very few players, Matthew Stafford at the top of the draft and a few others sprinkled in. You know, like Malcolm Jenkins is still playing, but there's like a bunch of guys from the 2010 draft still playing in the league and like elite players in the league still. So that's what makes it fascinating. If you don't recall, and I always urge you to follow on Pro Football Reference, this is what we use for a lot of the stat indicators and things of that nature. This is the draft with three of the top four picks. Those Oklahoma guys, right? Sam Bradford, Demarcus Sue, Gerald McCoy, Trent Williams. So if you take out Sue, three of the first four guys are Oklahoma guys. Eric Berry is your fifth pick, who I really wanted. I just remember really wanting Eric Berry. And obviously he was a hell of a football player battled and overcame so much. And then Russell Okun was pick six and then Cleveland took Joe Hayden at pick seven. Now Joe Hayden has, you know, three pro bowls. He's a starter for eight years, battle injuries in Cleveland. One of the few first round picks for Cleveland, high first round picks to get a second contract with the team. And, um, you know, but that's what made miles signing so unique is that the Browns have had so few of these, and especially over this prolonged decade, Joe's one of the few. Now, you could obviously justify keeping Joe there, but there are so many other names in this redraft that I won't be keeping Joe there, and I don't think you will be keeping Joe there either. So, but, but tell me, I always I always like to start out with you, what you remember specifically about this uh, 2010 edition.
0: Well, first of all, I remember explicitly not liking Sam Bradford as the number one overall talent, and it wasn't necessarily because of his injury history, which was prolific at that time, and, and a major question mark going into... This draft class, but I what I looked at him, he was the r- really the first big time prospect to play in what we would call a true spread offense. And at the time, it was one of those check with me offenses, which was really the first time you saw it at a major program. And I'm talking one of the blue bloods when it comes to pipeline programs at Oklahoma And that he didn't have control over the offense. And one of there's two major things I learned with this class when it comes to quarterbacks. I now stress the ability to expand an offensive scheme based on the quarterback's understanding of of philosophies far more today than I did then, uh, because of Sam Bradford. And the other one's Jimmy Clausen. I love Jimmy Clausen. I'm not even going to deny it while we're on here. And even though it's years later, I thought Jimmy Clausen was. A first-round pick, I thought he was better than Sam Bradford. Now, obviously, that didn't turn out to be be the case, and Bradford wasn't that great either. But what I learned from Clawson is at that time, I stressed very highly um, how many... Pro style throws quarterbacks made at the collegiate level because at that point that was before we were really fully transitioning into the game as we know it today, and so when you watch Notre Dame at that time and some of the how many times he threw in the tight windows and was asked to make the type of throws you see at, at that time in the NFL was at a very high level and the problem with Clausen that I overlooked was the lack of overall arm talent. I didn't stress his footwork, like I should have, Jake. I didn't see that he was he was overstepping, uh, overstriding to try to put more mustard on the football because he didn't have the arm strength to consistently make those throws. He was asked to do them consistently, which I placed an emphasis on, but I de-emphasized his capability of doing so, and hence why I missed and whiffed badly on him as a prospect. So I want to eat a little crow before we get started on these picks, but that's the first thing I remember. That, and an Dalman Consume was an absolute monster. One of the best prospects I've seen doing this in 18 years. When you look at him, go back to Nebraska versus Missouri, and it was one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen of any college prospect ever. And that, I'm not even trying to, trying to be hyperbolic when I state that that's how good it was. And so the the top of this draft was really interesting because yes, you had that quarterback in Sam Bradford, but guys like Sue and McCoy and Williams and Barry they were clearly better prospects, and yet. Because he's a quarterback, he went number one overall.
1: I do remember really wanting one of those defensive tackles, and then really wanting, really wanting Eric Berry too. And uh, you know, Joe Hayden was was fine by me because it was a position of value and all of that. But man, this draft was this draft is fun, and I like I said, encourage you guys to, to to check it out if you check it out if you're following along. We'll go through the Browns draft real quick. We're so a reminder we draft the first four picks again. They took Joe Hayden first. Took T.J. Ward at uh, pick 38 in the second round. They had two second-round picks. So took T.J. Ward, who had a pretty solid career, seven years as a starter, a couple Pro Bowl seasons, obviously, um, between uh, Cleveland and Denver. Uh, Montario Hardesty was the running back selection in the second round, pick 59 out of Tennessee. Colt McCoy, uh, who was the quarterback selected in the third <laughs> round. <laughs> Sean Laval, right, got that right, who had a solid career, Arizona State in the third round. Fifth round, Larry Asante was picked out of Nebraska. The DB played only 39 games. Carlton Mitchell, the wide receiver, 16 games out of South Florida, and then Clifton Gathers, uh, Gathers, sorry, out of South Carolina, uh, pick 186. So we're going to repick the first four, which is Joe Hayden, TJ Ward, Hardesty, and Colt McCoy. So guys that are off the board, um, we we mentioned earlier, I'll just reiterate, Sam Bradford, Sue is off the board at this point, Joe McCoy, Trent Williams, Eric Berry, and Akung. So that leaves everybody else on the board. And again, if you do the career approximated value, this is a good way to look at how productive guys have been in over their career, not a perfect system, but at least gives you an idea of the guys who have been the best in the draft class. So, so, you're hitting lead off today. Who do you got?
0: First of all, let's, let's get this out of the way. Joe, Joe Hayden was a fine pick at the time. And even in retrospect, he was a fine pick and someone that I was actually quite comfortable with as a prospect. So I'm not going to say that I was upset with what Cleveland did, Uh, One of the things that I've used Joe as an example for for years is how hip fluidity is actually far more important for a cornerback than actual 40-yard dash. And now I know Joe Hayden had the back issues at the Combine, hence why he improved his 40-yard dash dramatically between the Combine and Florida's Pro Day that year. With that said, he is the guy that if you watch him... What he does so well throughout his career, dating all the way back to Florida, is the way he can open up through his backpedal without losing a step because he's so flexible in his lower body. And it doesn't matter if you run a 4-3 if you're clunky coming out of your backpedal and you, you lose two steps because you're just not athletic enough to turn and run and, and, and really transition. So Hayden's a great example of that, a really good ball player. With that said, I'm not selecting him because you have a Hall of Fame talent that came off the board a couple picks later in safety, Earl Thomas. Now, he's not TJ Ward. They're on the opposite side of the spectrum, and we're talking about an Eric Mangini-led team. First of all, I despised the Eric Mangini hire. I remember being at the Senior Bowl that year, having a source tell me that everyone within the New York Jets locker room hated him. That's why he got driven out so quickly in New York. And yet Randy Lerner decided to hire him like two days later as the Cleveland Browns head coach. And you just knew it was going to be a disaster because he was never going to get along with people in the locker room. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. But on top of that, he was so ingrained in the way that he operated in only a certain manner. And this is something, you know, bugs me, Jake, when it comes to lack of flexibility within a coaching staff and their inability to build around available talent. So you have to get certain guys that fit their system. So they go for a T.J. Ward instead of earlier in round one when you have Earl Thomas, who revolutionized the way we look at the safety position today. He is the quintessential standard bearer at free safety. You can still say he is. And his ability to cover sideline to sideline, to be a complete eraser along that back line was the – Genesis of what we get to eventually know as the Legion of Boom Super Bowl winning secondary for the Seattle Seahawks. As such, he seems like the slam dunk pick for me at this selection for the Cleveland Browns.
1: I'm gonna give you my pick in a second, which I think you will uh, probably agree with. But before we do so, I want to quickly remind you guys listening about Sunday tickets availability, which is coming up on us. If you're an out-of-market Browns fan, you gotta make sure you're getting your games, and Sunday Ticket is the way to do it. And we got an offer for you here. You can go to SundayTicket.tv where you can stream every single live out-of-market day, out-of-market game Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players, all those guys on your fantasy teams, all that good stuff. So no matter where you live, SundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. It's 15%. That's a great deal. Visit SundayTicket.tv and use that promo code BLUEWIRE. So my pick, I'm just going to shut up and agree with you. I don't, I don't, you know, listen, they're, the Browns pick in the second round at pick 38, and there's a ton of guys on the board that uh between now and then pick seven and pick 38 that are that are interesting players obviously I mean we're going to talk about some of the late round guys that are available and we'll, we'll probably both pick a couple of them but if we just look at guys in the first round that were still available Marquise Pouncey uh, Demarius Thomas all guys that have had great careers Trent or sorry uh, Jason Pierre Paul um, Des Bryant Devin McCourty all those guys still Mikey Potty uh, Brian Balaga all available between now and then but I mean you know, the, the, the pick is pretty obvious as Earl Thomas and he's a transitional safety and or sorry, I should say transcendent safety. Uh, fantastic player. I'm not going to add any more to what you added. It's just an easy pick right there. Who's your guy in the second round. So we're up to pick uh, pick 38. So go ahead, my friend.
0: Well, first little, a little story for you, Jake, uh, wow. because you mentioned Mike Eupati, right? The big guard out of Idaho, Polynesian heritage, now, you've been to the Combine a few times, I believe, correct?
1: Yep, yeah, yep, I've been.
0: Okay. The stupidity of some of the questions that are asked <laughs> at the Combine are mind-blowing. Mel- mind and this is the one that I always remember to the day I die. Because he's had Polynesian heritage, we're going to typecast him, Right. One of the beat writers—I won't say who—but he's very long-tenured and been around the NFL a long time. Asks, "Your name is Mike. What is that short for?" Thinking it's going to be, you know, like—I oh can't even think of an example off the top of my head. You know, like Tua, you know, Tua Tagovailoa, or some, you know, something along those lines. And Mike took it in stride, right? And I don't know if he was being serious or 100% sarcastic when he stated. Well, it's a nickname because my name's Michael, and they wanted to call me Big Mike. That was the answer. I had to walk away. It was so dumb of a question and so inconsequential to actually wondering about the person and the prospect and the football player. Uh, it just, it, Can you tell it still gets me to this day? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, those were the ones that always stick with you. And some guys handle those. Some guys handle him well, and some guys handle him like Baker did last year when he got a dumb question in the middle of the season. I don't have to remind everybody. Eventually, you just get just get tired of him, man. You got to come up with something better. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. That's a ridiculous question.
0: Jesus, Tony. With the 38th pick, <laughs> the Cleveland Browns passed on Rob Gronkowski, arguably the greatest tight end in NFL history. Now, this comes with huge caveats, and I understand that. T.J. Ward was, again, a fine selection. There was nothing wrong with T.J. Ward as a player. I liked him coming out of Oregon. He was certainly the hardest-hitting safety in the class and lived up to that status throughout his NFL career. And I, and what a lot of people don't know about me is in this draft cycle, I actually worked for an independent scouting service that sent their information to NFL teams. And my boss at the time had said, that teams were looking at Rob Gronkowski as the best football player in the draft class. And I, I just brushed it off at the time, but the reason he fell in the second round for those who don't remember is he barely played his final year on campus at Arizona because of back issues. And there was potential long-term concerns about injuries and there has been injuries throughout his career, but when he's on the field, he's absolutely spectacular and one of the best we've ever seen or the best we've ever seen when it comes to all around tight end. And so if you had that opportunity looking back on it and knowing what he become, and by the way, there's another really damn good tight end later in this class, and I'm sure will come up, but we're going to have to go with the Gronk simply because of who he is, what he's done, and how he affected both phases of the game. By the way, perfect fit for New England, not a perfect fit for Eric Mangini. Hmm.
1: <laughs> Ironically enough. Um, look, I, I obviously – should take Rob Gronkowski um because he's he's really talented uh like you said one of the best ever do it and uh but I'm not I'm for the sake of this discussion I'm going to take uh somebody else I think I think you could obviously take him later but I'm going to take him now I'm going to take Antonio Brown you know I don't I don't care that we know this different version of him over the last 3 or 4 years he's completely lost his mind it seems like when he was doing it, and when the head was on right, the beginning of his career into the middle of his career, uh, a decade-defining receiver and a guy who really changed things. And I just also want to keep him out of Pittsburgh. So shoot me. I'm just I don't, I don't want him there. He tortured the Browns for so long, and um, yeah, he was a sixth-round pick, and I could cheat and take him later. But he was, you know, a guy that if if things shake out late different later in his career is is a hall of famer in my way he's a four-time all pro other than gronk navarro bowman was a four-time all pro those are the only four-time all pros in this class and uh he's just really good so i I, i'm going to take him here and cheat a little bit i guess i'm cheating myself because i could take him later but yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna take him he's he was a fantastic receiver and maybe he gets another shot i don't i don't know i'm setting all that other stuff aside right
0: now first of all i a little fun While you're online here, while we're discussing this and going to the next pick, pull up Google Images, put Antonio Brown's Central Michigan photo. About the third row down, you'll see his final team picture with the eyeballs. It's hilarious. It's been emblazoned in my head ever since I saw his last year on campus. Because Ironically, I had Mac duties that year that I discussed, and that was one of my one of my conferences I had to cover. So I had to watch a lot of Dan LaFever, if anyone remembers Dan LaFever and Mac Mac country out there. And I graded him as a undrafted free agent and people got pissed at me, but that's neither here nor there. Antonio Brown, people forget, led the NCAA in total yardage his final year on on campus. That's how good he was. He was fantastic. And I'm not even going to qualify it, Jake. He's a hall of famer. Look, he really is. You don't have to be a good person. To be in the Hall of Fame, O.J. Simpson proves that. But when it comes to Antonio Brown, he was as good as any wide receiver we ever seen when he was at his peak.
1: Yeah, body control, ball tracking, all that stuff—phenomenal. College wide receiver number twenty-seven, pretty rare. Uh, you know, don't don't see that all too often. And also spent a little time at Central with J.J. Watt. Yeah, as a fun little anecdote before J.J. transferred. Um, yeah, let's let's keep going though, man. Who do you got? I think it's pick took Ontario hardest here. Obviously you would rewrite this pick, pick fifty-nine. Yeah. You take it.
0: Yeah. This one was, uh, the, the first two picks were actually solid. This one was questionable, even at the time for those who don't remember even coming out of Tennessee, Montario was a good back, but he had injury concerns. So that was the one injury gamble Cleveland did take. Well, actually there's another one, but we didn't find that out till later, which we'll discuss here in a bit, but he was legitimately an injury risk and basically became an injury risk. Once he played in the NFL for a very short amount of time. Uh, you know, looking at what Cleveland needed, and not necessarily what just what they needed, because you had what was their top to thousand ten wide receivers? You had Josh Cribs, Bobby Ingram at the end of the tail end of his career, Muhammad Massaquis. They eventually drafted Carlton Mitchell in this class, Brian Robisky, Cindric Steptoe. There's a name for you for those who remember Cindric and Chauncey Stuckey. I mean, that's that's a murderer's row of mediocrity if I've ever seen it. So if you look at it, and that second-round pick at number 59, one pick later, Golden Tate came off the board. Now, I'm not going to say and jump ahead with Antonio Brown because that's probably too much of a stretch for me, but Golden Tate was legit, and he's still legit, and he's still one of the very best with the ball in his hands in the NFL and with yards after catch playing out of the slot. And so I will give them, give the Browns finally a weapon in the passing game that they lacked for so long.
1: Yeah, nice career for Golden Tate. He's going to cross the 8,000-yard mark. Might get to 50 touchdowns this year. Really really nice career. So there yeah, there's a, there's a couple good receivers still on the board. Obviously, Emmanuel Sanders is still there. Um I I would probably go tight end here. I I think I'd go Jimmy Graham. There it um, is. Um you know, Jimmy Graham obviously didn't take Gronk earlier. Graham has 74 touchdowns amassed. Uh who will cross the 8,000-yard mark this season? His numbers are right up there with with uh you know, with Gronk too. So Jimmy out of Miami, uh, very, very minimal background, but yeah, just, he turned into, you know, just an unbelievable tight end with the saints for a long time there. With Jay, the can you imagine
0: 12 personnel with Gronk at the Y and Jimmy at the F? Oh my God. Yeah. man. Who does the force like to do that back then though? You know?
1: Yeah, no, it'd be unfair. I mean, guys that could just, uh, just do so many different things at so many levels of the field. So, uh Jimmy's a good player, good pick right there, I think would be and he was picked in the third round, so not all too far off of where he ended up being selected. Um so I got my tight end. Who's your pick? Last one would do pick eighty-five.
0: So well, many good players. McCoy, I'll player. tell you that. Yeah. So <laughs> Cleveland didn't have their quarterback of the future, which is unfortunate. You know, the way that this draft fell, I mean, to be blatantly honest, if I'm pulling the trigger at the time, I probably would have seriously looked at Jimmy Clausen in the second round. Um, as opposed to Colt McCoy a little later. Uh, You did have Jake DeLome, who you signed that offseason. You did have uh, Seneca Wallace, who I was probably higher on the most. I mean, if he played 10 years later, Seneca Wallace probably would have been really good in the NFL, but that's neither here nor there. You know what's amazing about Colt McCoy is everything we learned after the fact. We learned that he couldn't and shouldn't have played as early as he did because his shoulder was absolutely mangled. After the championship game against Alabama, we learned how much of a pain in the ass he was in the locker room when it comes to coaching staffs and always trying to do it, you know, the Texas way or his dad's way, if his dad also has a coaching uh, pedigree. So he was the wrong guy for the wrong situation for the wrong team. And we all learned that because, well, he took way too many hits, which is unfortunate. But at the same time, he was never... The type of talent that you should have built your franchise around. I don't care if Mike Holmgren thought he could be the next Matt Hasselbeck or whatever. He's a third-round pick. You're, that's not enough of an investment to build your entire offense around long-term. So I just continue to go with the best player available. And I'm looking at my notes. Excuse me. I had scribbles. I had my doctor writing. You have Navarro Bowman come off shortly thereafter. Uh, the Penn State linebacker goes to. San Francisco becomes one of the best linebackers in the NFL, albeit for a shorter period than we expected because he retires early. But that's someone that you can build around when you had a lackluster group at the position. And knowing Eric Mangini at the time, this is one situation where he should have fit what he wanted to do. And yet he decided to move forward with a bunch of veterans like Eric Barton and David Bowens and Scott Fujita, along with Dequel Jackson. And that, to me, that was just a mistake because – All those guys I just mentioned, Jake, who's a good athlete out of any of them? And it's really none of them except for Dequell, and he was average at best anyhow. So to get a player of Bowman's caliber at this juncture would be a boon for the team and actually for the system with Mangini leading the way.
1: Yeah, it came down to three guys for me. It came down to obviously Bowman, uh, Everson Griffin, still on the board. He's the 100th pick. He was in the fourth round. And then who I ended up taking is a guy who was a menace to Cleveland, and still might be, he's on the tail end of things here. But Geno Atkins, who was uh, out of Georgia, was the fourth round pick 120, um, is, is uh, I believe, in the top five and uh, top three in sacks for this class. And, um, you know, a guy who's a two-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler, one of the league's better as a reign is probably, you could argue, as the league's best defensive tackle. So if you could get a guy in the fourth round like that, uh, you feel pretty good, and you know Cincinnati completely reshaped their pass rush in this draft by taking Carlos Dunlap, who's this draft's all-time leading sack guy. Which I probably should have saved that, uh, saved that one for a little bit later. <laughs> but right now he leads the class in sacks, and then um, Geno Atkins is third. So they get you know two of the top three sack guys in this class come from the Bengals as it currently sits right now. Now like I said, all these guys are still playing. McCoy, Griffin, Atkins, Pierre, Paul, Dunlap, Sue. They're all they're all still going for the most part. And Brandon Graham's still going too. He's in that list. So yeah, that's who that's who I'm probably taking right there. And and like I said, just a nice draft in terms of guys who were picked later and turned into really good value. And this is a fun one. You could we could keep going four more all four picks that were remaining and, and probably pull out pretty good players from this draft class. So that's, that's the fun part of it. So we're going to close, man. We're going to close with trivia. All
0: right. So, Can I jump ahead of you for real quick before yeah, you quiz ahead. me and make me look stupid? Yeah. Do, do you know why Geno Atkins fell to the fourth round at 120th overall?
1: I, ca- I can't recall. So. Hey. Okay.
0: Well, I'll give you the inside story that was told to me at that time. So I'm sitting at the senior bowl. And I'm working on something I can't remember, and I see Gino walk by. Now, if anyone's ever seen Geno Atkins outside of his, his pads, think of Aaron Donald, years before Aaron Donald entered the league. He's, he's built like a brick shit shithouse. He's an impressive human being, to say the least. And he had good tape at Georgia. I remember watching him, and he was a very good player, uh, highly regarded. And I had a source lean over to me and goes, does he actually care about football? And that was the question emanating around all of the NFL at that time. And they wondered if he had the passion to really play and put in the effort at the NFL level. And guess what? Yes, he did. And a lot of people missed on him as a result because they weren't sure what type of personality he was going to be and if he could really become and live up to his potential. And I saw it, or I heard it firsthand. And it's just really disappointing because you knew the, that that talent was there yet teams pass on and pass on him because they weren't quite sure about who he was as a person
1: yeah, it's just it's the same with antonio brown two guys in the division taken in the fourth and sixth rounds who just were torturing torturing type of guys um it's a good anecdote man i didn't i did not know that at the time and i i didn't even know it up to today so that explains why he would have fallen because the talent was obviously there um all right, let's do let's do a couple questions. We know Sam Bradford had the most passing yards in this class. Who is your second most passing yards and touchdowns in this class? No hint. No hint. Is it Colt? It is Colt. 6,000 yeah. yards. 3,000 more than the next guy. Um,
0: Colt's still in the league, people. I don't know if you know this. Colt McCoy is still in the NFL.
1: He is the only one of these quarterbacks that is still playing. Uh, Tebow obviously stopped playing early. Uh, Bradford, 2018, was his last. John Skelton, for you Cardinals fans, 2012. Jimmy Clausen 20. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad quarterback class, man. Um, all right, let's talk uh, rushing yards. Most rushing yards in this class was a first-round guy. Most rushing yards and touchdowns. Had a nice little run. Nice little fantasy guy for a minute.
0: Oh, uh, I'm thinking first-round guys. The only ones immediately popped in my head was Ryan Matthews.
1: It is Ryan Matthews. He, uh, he, he beat out C.J. Spiller pretty comfortably um fifth most yards Stanford running back
0: fifth most yards Stanford running back Toby Gerhardt Toby Gerhardt, Toby Gerhardt uh, that was the beginning of the uh, Jim Harbaugh era at Stanford and when they yeah. became uh oh God what's what's the nickname they have for Stanford and I love uh bludgeon, Bludgeon Brit I can't remember. I can't Darn remember it! I mean, at least I got the answer right.
1: So many fun names from these college days that I oh. remember so fondly. Jonathan Dwyer, Javon Best. Javed Best came in the league with some high expectations.
0: Wait, um, did you remember? Did you see Javid Best? Did, did we discuss it before when he got blew up in the Maryland game and puked on the field? He got hit so hard. Mm-hmm. We did oh it. my god, that was, might be the hardest hit I've ever seen in college football. Joe McKnight.
1: In the list five hundred. Oh, the
0: Stanford saying that started on the Jim Harbaugh intellectual brutality. Oh, it's
1: classy. I like it. I like it. All right, let's talk receivers. Most yards in this class is obviously Antonio Brown. Second most yards. And there's a good selection of guys here. Man, first, I don't
0: even get a first, hint on this one. No, I'll
1: give you a hint. First round pick. Pick 22.
0: Oh, I was going to say Emmanuel Sanders. Um, He's third. Barely,
1: oh, barely third. Barely edging out your boy Golden Tate.
0: You
1: got me on this one. It is Demarius Thomas. Oh, yeah. Always remember the DirecTV commercial. Touchdown, Demarius. Um, all right, so most touchdowns in this class receiving. Is that Sanders? It is not. It's Rob Gronkowski, 79. Antonio Brown, 75. Oh, I was, Jimmy thinking,
0: I was thinking receivers, excuse me, not generalized receivers.
1: Generalized, yeah, everybody included. So he's, he's the guy. Jimmy Graham's at 74, right down his neck. Fourth most, Des Bryant. Not a ton of receiving yards for Dez, though. Um, okay, let's talk tackles. Solo tackles. Most in this class, there's not a chance you would get it. Uh, Georgia, is a Georgia safety, um, taken in the fifth round. Still playing. Taken by the Dolphins. Tied for the most tackles with Devin McCourty.
0: Rashad Jones.
1: Fantastic work out of you. All right, good job. Uh, interceptions. Joe Thomas and Earl. Uh, sorry, Joe Hayden and Earl Thomas. God, got that all screwed up. Uh, top. Let's go through the top five. So, Earl Thomas, Joe Hayden, Devin McCourty, who you just mentioned, Rashad Jones. Now, the fifth one is an Ohio State safety taken with pick 244, seventh rounder. Fifth most interceptions in the entire class.
0: We're past the Dustin Fox years. Um, yeah, we're, we're well past Dustin's. Year yeah, coming. I know, but that was the first one that came up in my mind. I have no idea why. Uh, safety, Ohio State. <sighs> I I can't think off the top of my head. Kurt Coleman,
1: twenty-one oh,
0: interceptions. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, that's a good trivia one there. Right.
0: a long time too.
1: Um. Okay, so most sacks in this class. I think I said it earlier, but I'll ask you again. Do you remember? Carlos Dunlap. it is Carlos Dunlap. It's a very tight race four guys in the in the seventies with everson Gino, Pierre Paul, and then uh Dunlap, who's kind of started to fade a little bit recently, but we'll see if he has bounced back. That's all I got man. Those are the only real fun little little nuggets in this one. Just the guys that we know so well are the ones that that uh that are at the top of all of these lists. you know, Navarro Bowman, it's amazing. you mentioned Bowman who only played really only played five seasons as a starter four of those seasons were all pro that's pretty weird that he had four yeah. all pro seasons and three pro bowl seasons there's such a disconnect there but yeah he's the third most solo tackles in the class ahead of or you know sean lee ahead of earl thomas ahead of a lot of names that you'd be surprised about they hell of a player anyway yeah we're, we're wrapping up man anything to plug before we go my friend
0: well first of all i was waiting for a myron roll question from this draft class if everyone remembers myron he is now a very successful neurosurgeon <laughs> so when it comes to guys they question their their commitment to football he was he's pretty much the the poster boy for that conversation uh the other thing i wanted to bring up real quick jake and um, just from a news perspective thoughts on everson griffin signing elsewhere with the dallas cowboys
1: didn't expect him to be in cleveland um although i thought there was some fun connection it was fun to play around with i, I just didn't i didn't particularly see it happening so um yeah, I mean, it would have been cool, would have been great. Maybe they'll still bring in a fourth name, but I'm happy that they have an actual rotation guy in Claiborne for the first time in a while, and uh, you know, let Chad Thomas and whoever else fight it out for that for that other opposite role. But yeah, it's it's uh, you know, Clowney's still floating out there too, so you never know. I mean, weirder things have happened, but I just did not think the Browns were gonna were gonna push the amount of money uh, that it would take to bring Griffin this this way.
0: I have to bring up Porter Gustin. So, just in case, Jack Duffin, who follows us both, he's a great guy, does a lot of great salary cap stuff. He's he's a big fan.
1: Listen, my son's named Porter, so I'm pulling
0: for Porter Gustin, man. You know hey, one of my favorite beers is a Porter. So, there we're we all on the same page. We are, buddy.
1: Okay, so before we go, my friend, anything to, uh, you got anything coming up worth noting over the next couple of days?
0: Just a whole lot of work, man. It's <laughs> It will be flowing out in the next week just because we'll get into the heart of training camp. Um, we'll have – and I want to reiterate what we discussed last week. Just be patient. The coverage is going to be different this year. Everyone's going to try to get what we can out to you as quick as possible. Um, I'll still be active in all the OBR forms as per usual. Uh, as I stated earlier, my draft stuff kind of got put on hold just because we don't know – where we are from a seasonal perspective and how that's the the effect that we're going to have long-term. I know Jake will continue to break down what he, whatever he gets the opportunity to see when it comes to (laughs) a training camp this year, Fred will still have boots on the ground. Uh, So the OBR is still going to be very active. Just be patient with us because as much as we'd like to bring you real-time updates, it's not going to happen. And that is applicable to every team across the league.
1: Yeah, we're gonna do our best and uh we just got good news that Fred um you know, Fred was able to get approved to be there Friday, tomorrow, and uh and hopefully he can continue because they're gonna keep that very tight in the volume of people. So good news for the OBR. So we'll always appreciate your time, my friend. This is a fun one. Thank you, Jake. As always. All right guys, that's a wrap. Fun one. We will get back um hopefully next week and do a couple more of these as we try to get through two thousand nineteen. I don't know, we can't redraft two thousand nineteen. Maybe through two thousand eighteen. Uh, We can do that one, but, uh, you know, we need a little evidence on 2019 still. But we'll uh, we'll try to get through these by the start of camp. They've been fun. Hopefully you're enjoying them. Hopefully hopefully it's not, not too much nostalgia and terror at the same time. that that rips you apart. But these are, these are good. We'll have Doug LaMarie will be on the OBR film breakdown podcast for you. That'll be out today as well. If you would like to listen to that for more Browns content, and we'll be giving you a whole bunch of stuff over the next few days from the days of training camp that we are able to witness. So make sure you're getting on from two to four and watching training camp and you're joining us at the OBR where we have some great deals going right now, CBS All Access is a part of your subscription. And we will also look forward to you giving us a review and subscription to the podcast, because that's very important to us. And we appreciate all your support. So until next time, go Browns.